If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like for you to turn to three verses. First is Second Timothy chapter 1, and then I want you to turn to Second Peter chapter 1 and chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 1 and Second Peter chapter 1 and 3. In Timothy, chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy and begins to compliment him for his background and for his upbringing in verses 3, 4, and 5. And in verse 6, he says, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now, I want to major this morning on the word stir, and I'm taking my title this morning from verse 6 the word stir there. You'll find the word stir in the other two verses in Second Peter. It's not the same Greek word, but for lack of a more sophisticated title, I'm going to title the message this morning, Keeping the Fire Going. You say, well, there's nothing in there about fire. Well, there is too. Keeping the fire going. Now, the word stir that is used in verse 6, as Paul encourages this young minister, you know, he said, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. You have a gift that came from God to do something specific that cannot be learned. And you have something special and don't shrink from it. God didn't tell you to draw back. Don't be ashamed of me. He writes in the same first chapter. He said, speak the word in season or out of season. Don't be afraid of what people, he's a young man probably needs to be encouraged. And Paul said, let me stir you up by saying this. You have something that you need to really be aware of and do. This is the reason God has called you. You have something special. This word stir means to revive a fire. Another definition was to stir or kindle the embers. Now, it assumes that there was already a fire there that something had already happened in his life or his heart or us, that God has lit something in us, in some way affected us and changed us with some new dimension of life we never had before. But the, the fact of it is, and we all know this, this is what this whole message is about, while we can point back in our lives, I've been saved, you know, 44 years and it would be easy without being continually stirred about all the things I've heard to lay most of it back aside and forget it. I can remember dramatic moments in my life when God did this, said this, and boy, you went home with this, and you bring that to church, you're bringing something that we need, and yet I can say because, again, I've just stood in this pulpit for years, a lot of things that get fired up in people can also grow quiet again. A flaming fire can become just ambers. It can just become a smoldering thing. The fire isn't gone, and it really hadn't gone out, but if you don't deal with it, if you don't kindle it, or in this case, if you don't stir it up, it could go out. Vincent's word study says that this word stir means to kindle as a flame. It means you've got to feed it. You can't just say, I got a fire burning and, okay, I got the fire once, fire's going. No, you did get the fire, but it'll go out because what burns eventually dies out. You got to keep feeding it. 
And if you don't, then, well, things don't happen well. Robert's word picture says it means to keep blazing. Now, what do we mean when we talk about fire? When the Bible speaks of fire, it speaks of it, you know, as not only purging and cleansing, but in the book of Jeremiah, God said, it's not my word like a fire. Now, in what way is God's word then like fire? Now, we know it purges. We know it cleanses. Fiery trials are mentioned. But it means that something inside of you can't be ignored. There's something there that you can't just not notice it or not realize it. If it's a fire. Remember God said, I would that you were hot or cold. I don't want you lukewarm because if you're lukewarm, you're nothing. If you're cold, at least you can be made hot. All you can do is let the thing die down. Forget 30 years ago, you surrendered your life and told God all the things you were going to do. 30 years later, you haven't done anything. Now, it's the purpose of ministry then. As I think Paul would say, the next two verses will confirm it or the next two passages, it's the purpose of ministry to stir you up. I know people get aggravated sometimes. The preacher goes to preaching pretty personal or, or too long. You know, he preaches 40 minutes, and it just wears you out. Or an hour and 13 minutes. And the whole design to me of preaching is not only to bring information. Paul complimented him on the information that he had, complimented him for the gift he had. But having a gift and having a lot of education and a lot of insight, revelation, doesn't mean you're on fire. It's just some people can sit back and say, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I know that. You can get so used to knowing that, that knowing that doesn't mean much anymore. You're just a church member. You're studious and you've learned a lot of things. You're academically gifted and so you can recall stuff. But your life is sort of, you know, it's not really hot. So I believe God puts ministry in the church to stir you up, to kindle the flame. Sometimes he has to, you know, in a, hey, which is a way of getting people's attention to don't forget what you've got. Don't sit here and die on me. Don't sit here and lose your enthusiasm and give up. Don't fold your arms and go quiet. Go somewhere else and do that. But don't do it here, Okay. Instead of trying to get more people in to fold their arm, we're trying to get them out. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I mean. We want what God sends to live as though I'm on fire for the Lord. Or I have a passion, a flame within like a passion burning in me. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20, he said, Lord, every time I preach, open my mouth and it goes doom and gloom. Now, those were not his words or my words. And he said, every time I speak and I speak, thus saith the Lord, I get thrown in jail, I get beat, whipped, something. So I'm not getting any results in my ministry. Nobody is responding, and they didn't. Nobody's believing what I'm saying. Nobody's responding to it. I am not going to speak this word anymore. Then he says, and I think in verse 6, he said, but your word was shut up in my bones like a fire, fire in my bones. In other words, his word was something that I could not ignore. Now, when the word you say you have is a flame, 
It's like fire. It'll guide you. It'll control you because you can't get away from it. But if you can keep hearing the word and it has no effect on your life, then there's nothing there. And it's hard for a minister or ministry to stir up something that's not there anyway. So you have to keep on going. You have to preach and you have to preach and you preach. Remember the time on the road to Emmaus when the two men were walking back after the crucifixion and Jesus came along? So they were walking along and he said, what are y'all talking about? And he said, where have you been? You haven't heard of what's going on? And so they kept talking. And then the Bible said Jesus began to talk to them about how the Christ must come and die, start in Genesis. And what, what a message that must have been. And showed through the whole Old Testament how what happened was designed to happen, prophesied to happen, and did happen. And the men who heard it said this. He said, when he spoke, did not his word burn in our hearts? See, that's what the word of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to be in there as something that you're aware of. Something that God is going to use to change and rule and control your life. It's a fire. Now, not only does the word stir used here mean fire, but let me add the other word stir in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. Peter said, wherefore, I will not be negligent to you folks here in Shelbyville to always put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and though you're already established in the present truth. Yea, I think it is necessary, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Now, what's he saying here? Peter says, look, there are things you've been taught, and I know you know it, and you've heard it more than once, and, and I know that a lot of you are getting grounded and getting established. Things are starting to come together for you, starting to see the bigger picture and the reality of living this life, the becoming Christ, the next life. I know you're seeing it. But so that you will not slip away from it. He says, I want to stir you up. How? Three times now he said this word by putting you in remembrance to bring to your attention again what we're doing and what you've heard. You knew that once you were lost, you knew when you were lost, you didn't care a thing about spiritual things. And if anything wanted to come up on a church day, you'd do that. You just didn't care. You were, you know, you were just doing your own thing. That's the way people live. And God saved you, really and truly saved you, touched your heart. Life changes. The meaning of life, your purpose in being on this earth changes. It's not to have fun and be cool. It's to live your life in obedience and sacrifice to Christ Jesus. Not many will do that. They say they do, but they don't. But that's what you're here for. That's the commitment that we're supposed to make when you ask God to save you. It isn't about joining church. It's about surrendering your will and your heart to God and letting Jesus have his way. There are not many people have enough courage to do that because they're too afraid of what people think, what it'll cost them. But the fact of it is, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, he became your Lord and your master, which will be seen 
If that's true, we'll, we'll see as you live your life. Peter comes along and he says, look, if you're not doing well, if you're not doing a job like you should, it's my responsibility to remind you of that. Is that okay for a minister to do that? To remind church when you're just drifting along to say, hey, quit it. You know what I mean. Well, okay, hey, <laughs> quit drifting along. You're not trying. You're putting nothing into things like worship or loving people. You're not putting anything into it. It's become a ritual or a routine. It's not like something real to you. There's nothing flaming inside of you that compels you to do this. You need that. The minister who's a watchman, isn't he? On the walls, he watches over his congregation. They're like a flock of sheep. And he watches over them to see what kind of condition they're in. There's Proverbs 27. He watches over his sheep for the health of his people. And when things aren't well, what does he do? He says something. You talk about it. You preach about it. I don't mean you holler at the church. You know what I mean. But you bring it up again and again and again. Now, sometimes people get so tired of hearing it, they say it's the same old, same old. Listen, there is never a time, there is never a time when the same old, same old word of God ever loses its anointing. Never. The word of God always has something in it that is designed to do something to us. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall prosper the thing whereto I send. It shall accomplish that which I please, so forth. Now, when it's not doing that, what should we do? Deal with it. And if the minister doesn't deal with it, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 1. The second epistle, beloved, I write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You mean if I tell you something you've already heard, I'm reminding you of something I expect you to know? Of course it is. You want them to know. And it says in chapter 3, 15, he says, In accounting that long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, has spoken unto you. It's important. This word has power to do something to a man's life. If you've never had anything done, it's just a word. It's just church, Sunday school, and membership. And as, after that, your life is as it was. But there is power in the word. And when the word of God finds its way into your heart and God alone puts it there, it becomes like a fire. And as a fire, it is something in there that is compelling and determining, that is, it determines your life and your choices. Now, when the flame begins to flicker and men's lives and women's lives begin to change and sort of drift along, it is the duty of ministry to put you in remembrance, to remind you, to tell you that 
This is what's going on. Listen to what one writer wrote. He said, to call to your remembrance important truths which you have before heard, but which you are in danger of forgetting or from which you are in danger of turning away by prevailing errors. Things creep into your lives, new ideas, different ways. You thought you only were fired up when you were a kid because you never knew anything else. Now you're smarter and you've grown more and you can figure things out better. Well, you know more than God does now, so you start setting things aside. Well, I know the, I'd said that when I was a kid, but really. And, and so the flame starts flickering. So the minister comes along and says, what's wrong with you? God didn't call you to sit down and, and be indifferent. We got a mission in this life. There's a mandate on every one of our lives to live in a certain way, to honor God with everything we have. Who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't get after you? What kind of a person would not get after a congregation? An employee. Well, let's face it. At least the one I grew up in. Churches today are organizations. They're organized so the government will accept them and let them deduct their offerings. And the church has to be, because of that organization, it has to be organized in a certain way that is acceptable to the government. So we have to appeal to the government to accept us. So we write up our forms and get our board and have our rights and our constitution, whatever we have to have that the government accepts. And then we have a group that goes and finds us a preacher. Let's go get us a preacher. Sometimes you call the seminary, we're looking for a preacher. Sometimes somebody knew one somewhere and we get a committee to go, to go get us a preacher. Go find us one. So we go get us a preacher and we hire him. Say, here's what we'll do. We'll give you this much money every month and we'll give you so much money for this. We'll furnish a parsonage or if we don't have one, we'll give you enough money to pay, you know, a certain amount of money for rent. But we're going to draw some boundaries around you too. You see, you're going to serve us on our terms, and this is what we expect of you, and this is what you're going to do. Now, we'll give you money to do that, and, and we expect you to preach to us every week, bury those that die, marry those that want to get married. If you do that, and the church seems to grow a little bit, good. Now, one of the first things that young minister is going to do is try to impress his congregation. He may not be young, but he's just whatever he's going to try to do. He's going to try to impress the people to make you like him. Because you're paying him his salary. He depends on you. You're his source. So it's not like I'm concerned if I'm a hired man. It's not like I'm concerned about whether or not you're hearing the word. I'm just concerned about saying it, about preaching what I think is right. If you're not doing well, it ain't my fault. I, you hired me to preach. That's what I'm doing. Are you here? And if you get tired of me and I get tired of you, I'll just make myself available to another pulpit committee and I'll get out of here and catch a hat and I'll be gone. Listen, folks, that's not the way it ought to be. You know what John 10, 13 says? I know you don't right off the top of your head. I just looked it up before it came out here. That's how I know. <laughs> John 10, 13 says, A hireling careth not for his sheep. Well, then who's he care for? himself. Because when the wolf comes in verse 12, when the wolf comes, he flees. He flees and departs from the people because he doesn't care for them. 
They're his employer. He preaches sermons. If it's not getting into your heart and working for you, it's your problem. I preach. Now, if God sends a minister, hopefully means raise one up. Somebody we know and can't approve of. If you go out and hire somebody, who you don't know a whole lot about that person. Well, let's say God raises one up that you know and has a gift like Paul spoke of in 2 Timothy 1. Has a gift, a gift that was given to him by the laying on of hands. The people saw and knew that this was a unique endowment or endowment from God. Something special that we are all going to benefit from because God is going to use this gift to affect us. Now, how's he going to act? You can't hire him because he's not for sale. You can't pay him a salary because he's not, again, he's not an employee. We're not an organization. We're a body. A body of human beings called a church. Well, this building called the church, called an assembly. And we meet regularly and together to hear the word and to worship and to fellowship. All through 2 Timothy, Paul used the word labor, labor in doctrine. Give yourself to these things totally. Labor in the word and in preaching. Be ready always at any time. Word, 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 word. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. It means teaching. Why? Because this is how God is going to prepare his people for heaven. This is how God changes lives. You shall know the truth. Truth will make you free. This is how God delivers us in warfare because the word becomes a sword. Faith comes to hearing the word and gives us a shield which quenches all the fiery darts of the devil. If you're being defeated in battle and we're not doing well, somebody ought to say something. Now, a hireling isn't going to say much because if he makes you mad or makes key people mad, he's out. I mean, he's living on an edge anyway. But if you call to preach, I don't know why I'm yelling. But if you're called and you're compelled to not regard the looks of people's faces, but to regard what God says in his word and to speak the truth in love, then you just say what needs to be said. If people aren't praising God, if you're not praising God, if our worship is pat the cake, I'm just saying if it was, and your worship is just sort of, my loving kindness is... If that's all it was, and you sense that that's all we're giving God, shouldn't something be said? Amen. Shouldn't you stir people up and say, you know, when God saved you, remember back when it happened first time and remember God changed your heart and you came to the Lord? Remember how you were, whoa, remember that? Amen. So he said, put me in remembrance. I want to remind you that. Let me make that my first point. This is God's message for us today, that the ministry must never take for granted that the word that you have heard, that you really understood it, and you're keeping it in your heart. I heard a preacher say once, 
I guess he was a preacher. I don't know what he is or was. He said, I preached 2,000 plus different sermons and I've never had to repeat one twice. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not doing good at all because I repeated mine 15 times. You know why? Because if it's right, if it's good, I do not personally assume that you got it because I said it so eloquently or so crudely or so rightly. If it's the word of God and you speak it with what you got, I got what I got, and you speak with what you got, you say it the best you know how to say it. And just because I said it doesn't mean you got it, does it? Just because you preached the word to somebody doesn't mean they understood it. Now, all you mothers and daddies ought to know that. How many times have you had to remind your children of something you said 10 minutes ago? And sometimes you, hey, or sometimes you say, remember what I told you? Oh, yeah. See, it's not gone. It's just that, oh, I forgot. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Forgetfulness is common. It's dangerous because it leads to a hardened heart, Jesus said, but it's common. And so we don't want you to forget. The ministry doesn't want you to forget what you've heard. So you say it again, hey, and then you say it again. Remember this message of salvation and surrender and giving your will to God? Some of you are not doing it. It's not working. And let me say it again. And then here, just three weeks later, let me say it again. And then three weeks later, a sermon you heard, well, back in 1994 becomes a 2013 barn burner. You say it again. And you say it again. Why do you keep saying it? Because you're not living it. You're not doing it. It's going in one ear and out the other. That's a danger sign. When you can get up and leave the church and not remember what you heard, something is really wrong. And the preacher prides himself, well, I told him. It's not my problem, it's theirs. But you see, it is a problem. You take these problems home with you. They ride around with you. They're not doing good on your watch. Your ministry, they're not doing good. They're not paying attention. So you say, well, what else can I say? Sometimes it means you need to press in a little bit more to the throne of God and ask God for a strong anointing because when a real strong anointing is on a service, you will remember something. God will affect your life in some way. But if our lives are not being affected and it shows in how we live and how we meet and how we're going before the Lord, we need to say something about it. I want to remind you when you got saved, remember when you got saved, how you cried and how you loved the Lord and how you wouldn't miss church for at least for a month? You were on fire. Remember that? And then 10 years later, you're not. What happened? Well, not only do we say it again because we're not sure you got it, but secondly, our job and duty and responsibility in ministry is to put you in remembrance, to keep reminding you, to keep telling you, to keep calling your attention to what you heard. 
If it's a little fuzzy, you say, well, let me remind you of what you've heard. You're growing independent maybe to somebody. You're setting up your own rules. You go when you think you need to go, and if you don't need to go, you don't have to go. That ain't you. You're kind of your own little boss. May I remind you that that's not the way of God? May I remind you that God did not instill such independence in you? May I remind you that when you made a commitment to God, you made a commitment to his people and his church? I mean, you are being built together. That's what the Bible says. You're being built together. You've got a responsibility to love each other the same way Christ loved you. You can't love Christ the way he loved you unless you're with people that need to be loved. And if we're hateful and we're separated and we're fighting all the time, then you've got to say something about it from the pulpit. Hey, maybe I should title the message, hey. <laughs> hey, straw's cheaper and grass is free. I know, I know. The minister is not only to impart as he has it. He's not perfect. I'm not perfect. No ministry is perfect. But not only are we required to impart a word to you that we pray that God has shown us and not just some academic sermon thing, but something that comes out of the heart. But we impart truths unto people that they didn't know before, things that they need to be reminded of. We want you to have these things in your heart. We want you to hide the word in your heart. And you're being watched, just like I guess a flock of sheep gets watched. And you're being watched not followed around and not spied upon, not sneaking around looking in bushes. But your life becomes like a book. Every one of us is a book that can be read. You can go to church all you want to. You can do that. You can be a church member all you want to. You're still a book. Your pages are still open. They're not locked. You can tell by being around anybody in this room, anybody in this room for a length of time, you can tell who really has it and who doesn't. Not that we're going to remind them they don't have it. Sometimes you're compelled to do that, but our lives are like an epistle. We're read by everybody. Our choices, our words, our actions, the things we're pursuing, the things we talk about the most, that's evidence of what's in our hearts. If those things deny the Lord or they're not things that God put in your heart, they shouldn't be there. That's why we say when people get so politically active, that's not our call. That's not what we're called to do. That's not the realm of life we're trying to change. The purpose of what we're doing is right here in this room is to make disciples, not Democrats and Republicans. God forbid but it's to make disciples unto Christ, to quit going out and aggravating other people and making them mad. Jesus told Peter to go catch a fish and pay taxes lest we offend them. And the church is full of offending people. Jesus said, that ain't what we're called to do. Pray for those in authority, Paul wrote. The worst one he could think of was a terrible man. Paul said, pray for the rulers first. Pray for kings and all those that are in authority. Our call is as citizens 
of the kingdom of God. We're sojourners and pilgrims passing through this world. We're not here to run the world or to try to rule the world. The world is not in us and we're not in it. We live in this realm, but our hearts are in the kingdom of God and we await the coming of our king. And so what we do is to make our lives prepared for him and his coming. And that's a difficult thing, folks, for ministers or for you. We're all human. We all have tugs and things in this world that want to draw us apart. And we have to fight. We have to dig in. We have to get a hold of ourselves sometimes say, come on now, hold on. You got a job to do. God called you 1968, June 30th, almost noon, five minutes or 12. What do you think he called you for? What do you think he called you for? Just to ride around the world and tell people how much fun it was to be a Christian? If he puts you in a place like this here, the Bible said, you're going to have to give an account for everybody you're talking to. All their souls. You've got to give an account as a minister for the lives of these people. They're on your watch. So what does a minister do when things aren't going well? Oh, does he have a right to stir you up? How? By reminding you. We're not here for a social chat. We're not here just to see who's best dressed, who's got the prettiest baby. We got a bunch of them. We're here because it's what we're supposed to do. We prayed before we got here. Everybody prayed this morning for God to give them a fresh, clear word that would fall into their hearts and continue affecting and changing their life and their way. We prayed that before we got in this room, didn't we? That's right. I knew you did. This is my need this week. I'm only here for two hours. Then the whole rest of the week's faces. God, I need some fire. I need some fuel, Lord, for my fire. So he says, I'm going to stir you up. Now, the Lord is the people. Some of them don't look like they're doing well. I hear rumors. You can't always believe them, but sometimes they look like they're right. Some of the folks that used to be firm and fiery are kind of just sitting back and doing nothing anymore. Maybe they feel guilty, forlorn, cast down, no good, sinful, and no more. Put them in remembrance. Not only can you be forgiven and restored to fellowship with God, but you've got to do that. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. What a chapter. Paul writes, he said, if you will put your church, if you will put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Well, you better attain it first. You can't say what you don't know. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, I don't believe for a moment that everybody that attends church enjoys everything they hear because sometimes the word is like a sword and it does pierce. And you might take offense of it because you want to justify what you're doing. That's not what God wants you to do. But you can't deny that God said it that way and the sword begins to divide and cut. 
and your conscience comes into play. And you will either justify yourself and shut the preacher out or you will humble yourself to God and receive the word, not because the preacher said it, but because you got a Bible and you read it. And you begin to yield yourself to that divine work of God. You can deny that and say, you've heard enough. You know better than that. You're your own little boss. Do your own thing. Or you can, as I said, you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let that word deal with you. Because here's how important it is. Now, you've heard this before, but I'm going to remind you again. This is how important having the word and having the word anointed coming to us again and again and again and again is. In the same 1 Timothy chapter 4, he said in verse 12, Let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation or behavior, in love, in spirit, faith, and in purity. Then notice these words, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly or totally to these things that your profiting may appear to all. And take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, what happens? What is the promise of God? If the minister will do that, you will save not only yourself, but all those that hear you. Amen. Now, that's worth it. Amen. Think of that. Think of it. Paul said, Timothy, you're the one that's got the gift and the special unction. It doesn't just flow. Feed it. Spend time with it. Dive into it. Immerse yourself in it. Get it right. If you're going to say it, know why it's right. If you don't know it's whether or not it's right, don't say it. Let God open your eyes and heart and show you. Fill your life full of this and feed these people. For in doing this, you not only will ensure salvation for yourself, but for everybody that hears you. All those that want to hear it. Some don't want to hear it. That's their choice. There are those who do. That's their choice. And we all live by choices. But this is the way it works. And so when Paul said, remind the brethren of these things. And the cistern, remind the church. Say what's on your heart to say that God gave you. When you were thinking, meditating, studying, and something new popped up in your mind, oh, man, I can't say that. You say it. Well, she would think I'm truly talking about her. Well, it would refer to her, but she is not the one who said this. God's the one who said it, so say it. I don't know if I can say it or not, Lord. Say it. it had been a time or two I didn't. But, you know, you get older, you don't care if they get mad or not anymore. <laughs> say it. Speak the truth in love. God has never used anything but truth to make something right. Half truth is not fixing anything. Well, don't tell her that. She'll be offended. Then she's going to stay offended. Well, if you say that, they might, then they're going to stay like that. The only thing God's going to use to change anything is truth. Amen. And if you won't speak the truth from the pulpit or you won't speak it amongst each other, then nothing's going to happen. 
And the truth hurts. God said his word is like a fire. He says like a hammer, it's like a sword. It is intended to have some kind of an effect, especially if the ground is hard, needs to be broken up, been walked on and abused and ignored for years. Seed won't grow in that kind of soil. You got to break it up. If they don't want it to be broken up, nothing will ever grow with that person. They'll die and they'll perish. It's over. Their choice. But see, preacher, God gave you a plow. Put an 8,000-pound diesel behind her. Just run her through there. Oh, well, so-and-so surely won't come back after hearing that. That's their business. That's their choice. Your job is not to see how many you can keep. It's to preach the word. It's God who makes it work or all that other stuff. Like he said to Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'll make your head like flint so you won't back off because they don't like you and nobody liked him. But anyway, they said this ministry thing here at the end of this chapter about you save yourself and all those that hear you, to me, is quite compelling. Think of it. If we can do that, verse 13 on down the end of it, if that gets done, not because I'm paid to do it, you certainly didn't hire me to do it, and you really can't fire me. Now, I don't mean that to be an arrogant, proud state. I'm just trying to say God's way of doing things are different than man's. But woe is me if I abuse you, take advantage of you, cheat you, or rob you. And woe is you if you don't hear what is said and receive it. We're on the same boat. But he said, if you will do this, you give yourself to the word, you not only save yourself, but listen to it again. All those that hear you. Well, sometimes people struggle, don't they? Any of you ever struggle on this side? You ever had some down days when things weren't going well? You know what will pick you up and get you going? The Word of God. Remember your stands. Y'all remember the stands you took when you first got saved? Boy, you wouldn't cross that line. You didn't do a lot of stuff to do today. You wouldn't lay your hand on the Bible swearing anything. Swear not. I ain't swearing. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. And I ain't hanging no tree in my house and putting no wreath on my door and saying there's nobody in a little fat rain suit. I ain't going to do that. I don't care if it hair lips the whole world. I ain't going to do it. Because you see, I believe. I believe that as light comes, convictions come. And we got to live by convictions. Convictions are given by the Lord. Preferences are given by the world. We would prefer to be holy people, but in, under pressure, we'll change. But not a conviction. Right. You'll die for a conviction. Because right. it's a God-ordered belief. And it's a compelling thing when you have it. Nobody can buy you. Nobody can bribe you. You're not scared of anybody. Because it's the God you answer, and it's in God that you trust to take care of your adversaries. You serve him and him only. Everything changes. You got a fire in your bones. You got something inside of you that changes and is changing your life. There are no compromises, no backing off. When it comes to praise, I'm going to worship. I remember a time here. 
several years ago when we were an exuberant, loud, worshiping bunch. I remember when it was like that. Now, what happened that all of that changed? I don't know. Does it bother me? You bet. It does bother me. I grew up with an organ, a songbook, first, second, and fourth stanza. I mean, it was very routine, very ritual. It meant nothing. Then one day, somebody showed in a, in a Bible where the Bible speaks of a loud noise, dancing, raising your hands in, in worship. And I remember the day I started doing that, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Upset people in the church, but, you know, you, they thought I was in trouble. Somebody's robbing me. <laughs> but I was only trying to do what God said. I was afraid of what a lot of people would thought because nobody did that. But I started doing it. Now, God forbid that I get to be an older man. I don't do that no more because oh, I've already done that. Boy, your flame went out. Yeah, that's right. Your flame is out. You used to be a robust worshiper and singing songs. I serve a risen Savior. You used to sing with such gusto, and now you just sort of mouth it out. Your flame's dying, folks. Your flame is dying. You remember when it started and how you were like this, and now you're not like that? Your flame is dying. Your flame is going down. You've got embers, but boy, there's not much to warm anybody else by. There's no light here. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that at all. We do let things slip sometimes. We're warned about it. We're not to let the word slip, are we? We're told not to because it can, and it does. We were once on fire, now we're just sort of drifting along and here a little and there a little. Jesus warned his disciples, I said a while ago, in Mark chapter 8, they had crossed the Lake of Galilee and gone the other side, and he warned them about the leaven of Herod, you know, warned them about the leaven. They thought he was talking about bread. We forgot to take bread. And the things that Jesus said to him, one of the things was, he said, don't you remember the loaves and the 5,000 and 4,000, how many baskets full we had left over? How could you be concerned about something to eat when you've already seen two miracles that fed several thousand, at least said several thousand men with their women and children? It could have been bunches of thousands. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he said these words. He said, do you not remember? Have ye your hearts hardened? Have you got so used to hearing sermons or the word of God that you no longer are moved by anything? Have we become sermon tasters? Spiritual prognosticators? What did you think of the sermon? I don't know. Well, what did he say? I don't know what he said, but what did you think of the way he said it? That couldn't be true, could it? Oh, I like the way he preaches. Well, what does he say? I have no idea, but I just like the way he says it. You ain't got no fire in your life. What God intended that word to do in your life is it's not going to do it. God, I don't want to live my life as a little warm coal. I want a flame. God would rather me be hot and not cold. And he hates lukewarmness, which means, well, you got something going, but you've got nothing going too. Put me in remembrance. Have you ever pray that each morning? God, remind me today of what you've said, 
who I am, who you are, and what my special commitment is to you, and hold me to it. Hold me to it, Lord. Make me to be what I'm supposed to be. Another reason we have to stir and compel and put you in remembrance is because of the pressure of this world. Listen to what Jesus said. Mark chapter 4 and 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word. Now, if you choke the word, you choke the fire. If you choke the fire, you go from a flame to embers. Now, if I don't care, if it's nothing to me, it's your problem, not mine, then we'll never say much more about it. We'll point you to that new club we just started, the auto club. You know, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. Well, we ought to do that. Listen, we have no choice about auto. When God said this is the way you walk in it, there is no other way. It's not a suggestion. We don't vote on it. It is life. But he said in Mark 4, 19, again, he said, and the cares of this world, that's the worries and the stress, the things that bog people down and attach it to their mind so they're not thinking about anything else except the cares of this world. You bring it in here with you. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Sometimes it's money. You struggled early on, but you've stayed with it. You've got a pretty good job. You're working hard, trying hard. Give you that. Good. And now you're blessed. You're making some money. And sometimes money comes in and it changes your view of things. Sometimes it changes whether or not you give or how much you give. When you had a little, it was easy to give. When you get a lot, it's tougher to give. It's like you lose that conviction that you once had about that. But sometimes our kids grow up. You thought you had convictions about what we're going to do about movies and dress and makeup. And, all, and so you got a daughter and as long as she's little, you just snap that finger, be still. Then one day she's grown up. She looks like her mama, hopefully. And she's a woman now. She's not a little, a little girl anymore. And she doesn't exactly agree with you about what you believe. Now, boys are more firm about this than girls. Well, why should I have to do what you all do? I don't even know if I agree with that or not. You find, I found, I've watched, a lot of parents have changed what they thought was their conviction in order to avoid a war with their kid. You realize uncomfortably that your children don't share these same convictions. They don't have the same concerns about a relationship with God that you say you do. They don't have as narrow a walk with the Lord as you do. This faith stuff doesn't fit in their life. It fits in your life. And why should they be compelled to live the way you do? Why do they have to live by your rules? They want to have their own rules in your family. They want their own cell phone. They want their own TV. They want their own this. And chances are they're going to get it because if you don't get it, everybody else has got it and I don't have one. And you buy it. So they change you. That's part of the cares of this world. You were doing good until they grew up. Then everything went quiet. You yelled at one of them at home. They come with you to church. How are you going to do? Shout now after you're yelling at your child? Things change. I don't think all that other stuff is okay. 
I think if you raise them up the way we should, and I haven't, but if we did, they would do right. But we get busy and distracted by the things of this world. We get ambitious when we get making money. You start making, you get ambitious. Church kind of interferes sometimes with that. Doctrines sometimes interfere with how you handle your money, what you do with it, and everything starts affecting. You get all crossed up because you have an ambitious desire to make it, have it, and be there, and yet there's that thing about church and God's way. You're here in a church, you say God saved you here, filled you with the Spirit here, and got you on fire here, and your company wants to send you to Las Vegas and give you $100,000 more per year than you're making. And you think, well, that's a no-brainer. I'm gone. What about the church God put you in? Ain't nobody here going to make you stay here. We're not some kind of a cult. You want to go? It's your business. But I'm just saying the world has a way of taking you away from something spiritual if you let it. And so it's the job of ministry to say what I just said. It doesn't sound very popular to me with a lot of people who have worked for companies that could do that. I know of a church that a lot of key members left because of money. Money. Let me tell you how deceitful it is. Money can take you away from something where you're getting convicted and you feel like you're walking with God and you move to a place where there's nothing more than mere formality and tradition. And then say the bad people, they're as good as you are and we are. But you move to a place where you're not really being fed anymore, where the pop is gone, where the minister may be hesitant to say things that ought to be said and you let things slide. But to be religious, you get involved in a lot of other things, politics, blood drives, whatever you want to call it. You do a lot of other things because this is how we show the world that we're really doing something. The world can't see our hearts. They can only see our busyness. So you get that in your heart. And so the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, they just simply choke the word down to where you can't do like that anymore. Well, we'd like to do that, but that just ain't going to work right here. It chokes the word. You're not even a shadow of what you were back when, if you could still remember it. But let me say it again. Ministry is to warn you. Turn to Jude, the book of Jude. Let's just look at the first chapter. <laughs> oh, good, you know what I'm saying. Jude chapter 1 and verse 5. Jude chapter 1, or book of Jude chapter 5. He writes, I will put you in remembrance. Notice this again. Though you once knew this, and what does that mean? That they let it slide, had maybe forgotten it? So Jude says, so I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord having saved the people out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not? Could that be so? Did he not draw a whole nation out of Egypt? Did you know that only a few of them made it into the promised land, though they were all the called people of God, but not all are called or chosen? And only a few, actually two that were 20 and over, made it. Joshua and Caleb. 
Everybody else died. You know why they died? Unbelief. They did not believe what they were taught. They did not believe it. They did not live like what they heard was true. It wasn't essential in their life to follow God's directions that closely. They built themselves an idol. They made themselves a God. They wanted to go back to Egypt, back to the leeks and garlics of Egypt until Moses came off the hill with the word of God. They were rebellious all the way through. In fact, none of those people made it. What's he saying to us? That we can have once known the truth? Let me read it again. He said, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. You read in Hebrews chapter 3 that they could not enter into the rest of God because of unbelief then should we remind ourselves often about the need to believe? Define the word believe, make application of believe, and then say it again and again and again and again for 30 more years, say that again. It's so important because the Bible said when Jesus comes back in Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? He'll find people that have heard the word. He'll find churches full of people. But will he find faith? Will he find those people who are dedicated to living on God's terms, period? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live this. He said, that's the way I'm going to live. That's the way we're supposed to live. Finally, this morning, I'd like for you to go to Acts chapter 20. The word, when you preach it, does something vital in your life does something so necessary, so vital, so needful and essential. If we don't preach the word, woe is us, whoever we are that calls ourselves ministry. It's not little fun and games. It's not social goodness that we try to preach. It really has to do with faith in God, living by Faith. Paul in Acts 20 was at Ephesus. He had met with the elders there. He had brought them all out, all these little house churches where all these elders were. He had brought them all out, told them he was getting ready to go. And he said, let me begin in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. That's been a self-serving problem in the church for centuries. Therefore, watch and what? Remember. Don't forget it. Therefore, knowing that corruption looks for an opening in the church, waiting its moment, if it can, if it's not kept out, if it can just sneak in by some subtle way and rob the church and rob the people, if we can keep it out of here, he said, therefore, watch, verse 31, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. You think people like to be warned? How many messages would make it on the TV circuit if you just kept warning people? 
There's danger coming. He's warned them here. Let me go on. Verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those that are sanctified. Built up. You remember Colossians 2, 7, Bible says we are rooted and built up in him. Rooted and grounded and built up in him. That's the same word. It has to do with how we relate to God steadfastly. I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build, like building a structure. Able to build you up. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, it talks about the church of God, which is built, our word, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. That's the way it works. But built starts somewhere. You're the stones that God uses to build. A house of God is made of living stones, and they are put together, but they have to learn how to connect because what this stone has is to add it to this stone, and we become that which every joint supplies. And Paul writes in Ephesians 4, this is how the church is held together, not by a good preacher, but by you taking the word, sharing the word, living the word, encouraging each other, correcting each other when you have to, being responsible, being your brother's keeper. It's also used finally in Jude 20 where it says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You remember that. The word building up yourselves is our word build here in Acts 20. The word is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. In other words, God designed the word that he sent forth to this earth. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth and shall not return unto me void. He said, this word is designed to affect you. The minister, this is the way God's going to do it. The minister is primarily the one who's going to give it. Ephesians says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they show themselves be responsible for the equipping of the saints, putting the saints in working order. That's what it means. For the work of ministering, sharing, serving, till we all come to the unity of the faith and so forth. But this is what happens. The word of God is to go forth when divinely directed by God to hungry souls. Empty hearts won't receive it. It'll go in one ear and out the other. You'll just go home. That's it. But when the word of God is directed to a hungry heart, it's like something that stirs up the flame on the inside of you because it's like a fire. And it gets in there and it begins to do this and it begins to do that. It's what we're all about, folks. My final verse this morning is Colossians chapter 1. If you'll turn over there, we'll end with this. Colossians chapter 1. It's a part of remembrance. It's a part of stirring up the flame. Do you suppose parents could ever establish some kind of a relationship with their youngsters that when they go home from church like Sunday evening to sit down with your children that are old enough to, you know, hear and talk to them about the sermon? Would that convey to a child that it's important to you as a parent? Could it some way 
give you a chance as a father to confirm what was said and your desire for that to be in your child? You say, well, this would be kind of an awkward moment for me. My children are 15. I'm sure it would be. You can leave it alone, let it die, or you can just go ahead and get over your awkwardness and start. Maybe a family moment. I don't think there's anything dreadfully wrong with a family moment. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. You and your children, you and your little girl, you and your little boy. So what did the preacher say to you? Or here, it's almost like what did Papa say to you, you know? So many of my family. What did the preacher say today? What did you hear him say? Did anything stick? Did you remember anything he said? What do you think about that? Are you going to do that? Are you willing to live like that in your life? And the child says, are you daddy? Yeah. I have to now because of you because I got to set an example for you. And if I say I love the word and I don't live it at home, then you're not going to last long either because you're going to think we're a bunch of hypocrites. Are you hearing what I'm saying about imparting what you've heard to little lives that maybe didn't hear it now, but they'll listen to you? Well, Paul wrote this in Colossians 1. He says, first of all, verse 28, he says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. This is what's going to get us there. This is who we serve. This is why we're doing it. He said, verse 28, whom we preach, warning Every man and teaching every man. Could you do that with your children? Hello. Amen. I mean, could you warn your children? Of course you could. Whom we preach, warning our children, I mean, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? Paul said that we might present every man perfect in Christ. Notice he did not say so that we can get our paycheck for preaching. Just called, hired to preach. No, you're not hired to preach anything. You're hired to make disciples, to watch over the sheep as a flock of God's people. Whereunto Paul said, I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Is it possible in closing that we could be perfect? Is it even possible, or should we disregard that? I mean, look at you. Look, look at who I'm talking to. You say, well, look who's talking. I'm talking, that's right, me and you. Can we be perfect? What new thing is God going to say is going to re-inspire us? There's nothing new. We're kind of giving a shot across the bow this morning. Wake up. The Lord is coming, not for a sleepy bunch of people, but for those who remember what commitment they made a long time ago and are going to regroup and strive to enter into the narrow gate. Nobody can enter for you. You've got to get in there because you want in there. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless to all of our hearts this morning your word. May we leave nothing out. May nothing be set aside. May we take it to heart that we are called individually to serve you on your terms, that nobody can serve for us Nobody can serve in our place. That our commitment is to you and nobody can commit for us. Lord, there are those that remember that day perhaps long ago, perhaps not so long ago, when with tears of sorrow, aware of their sinfulness, 
They asked you to save them. They received it and they were glad of heart. There was rejoicing. There was just kind of joy they'd never known before, they said. And Lord, it seems that given time, things sort of grow old. It's like once a wonderful fire that we all like to gather around and we got just a little flickering flame. And yet you've spoken to us today to remember and to be stirred up. It can happen again. Lord, we have a testimony to this world. They need to see it. They need to hear it. Let us realize it. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.